as we consider the love of Christ, I have to begin with a statement to let you know very plainly <clears throat> that the greatest change agent that's ever existed in all the world is the love of Jesus. It's not a character trait of him, it's who he is. He's love. Everything about him is love. His image is love, his hands are love, his words are love, his hope is love. He embraces us when no one will be there. He loves us through the storm. He stands beside us in the darkness and he holds our hand as we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. That's who our Lord is. He is love. And if your nature is ever meant to change, and it will change if you allow the Spirit of God to work in you, it will only be when you take on the nature and the character of Christ, which is love. The flesh is a built-in law of failure, always has been, making it impossible for the natural man to please or to serve God. We can't do it. We think our best is what he's looking for. He's not looking for that at all. He's looking for us to shed our, our best and let go of it and allow Him to become our best. It is a compulsive inner force inherited from man's fall that we have in us. We can't help it. It's a part of who and what we are. Anything we build upon it will fall. It expresses itself in general and specific rebellion all the days of our life until we embrace the only hope that will ever change us. The flesh can never be reformed or improved. The only hope is for us to lose that flesh totally and absolutely. There has to be an absolute, total execution and replacement of the flesh with the life of Christ. It's the only way we'll ever be good enough to be accepted by God the Father. Some people think that they are supposed to give their best to God like they wear their best to church, but the reality is our best is, is the worst we could give. He doesn't want that. It's fallen. That is what we get rid of and let go of. Let me give you a definition. This is, this is right off the internet. Human nature. Human nature is a concept that denotes the fundamental dispositions and characteristics, including the ways of thinking, feeling, and acting, that humans are said to have naturally. The term is often used to denote the essence of humankind or what it means to be human. Natural, that's, that's who we are. But I remind you what Paul said to the Christians in Corinth, a church that was much like the average church today, fallen. He said, the natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. They're not intellectually taken in. They're not read and studied and absorbed and, and followed. Not at all. Late last night, a good friend of mine sent me, and he always sends me great messages on Facebook, and, and he sent me one of a, a man standing there looking at his dog, and this is what it said. He said, the average dog is a nicer person than the average person. Can I get an amen? That's true. I've often said, if we could be as good a person as our pet is, we would be okay. But the problem is, we have a fallen nature. The problem is we can't forget sometimes. And the problem is we remember all the wrong things. There's something broken about us. At our best, we're still at our worst. 
the best we can conceive or do is still not good enough for God. It'll still send us to perdition and destruction forever. Some years ago, a school teacher lost her life savings in a business scheme that was very elaborate. A swindler had developed this, and it, it, it piqued her interest, and it caught her at just the right time, and it drew her into that. And, and when her investment disappeared and her dreams were shattered, she went to none other than, Karen's representing it, Better Business Bureau. And the Better Business Bureau sat down with her, one of their people there, and they explained the scheme and how it worked and how many people it had taken in and that her savings were gone and the people were gone and they couldn't get it back. But the counselor said this to her. She said, did you realize that this was a scheme? She said, well, you know, she said, I didn't feel good about it. And they said, why didn't you come to us first? You've asked that question before, I'm sure. And here's what the woman said, and this resounds in her heart forever. She said, oh, I knew that something was wrong with it. I've always known about you, the Better Business Bureau, but I didn't want to come because I was afraid you'd tell me what I didn't want to hear. Now think about that. That's a lot like we are. We know that something's sinful. We know that it's wrong but we don't want to talk to God about it. The folly of human nature is that even though we know where the answers are with God in His Word, we're afraid to turn there sometimes. We're afraid that it will limit or constrict us. This is exactly why children, hear me, very carefully decide which parent to go ask for something that they want. They know. They know. I've told you before that uh, I heard a story years ago. This little boy was at the dinner table, and it was Christmas Eve. And everyone was there, the family, the grandparents, everyone. And, and they called on the little boy to pray, and he stood up and he began to pray. And in the midst of his thanking the Lord for the food and the family and everything, he said, Lord, you know I want that new red bike that's down there at Economy Auto. And you know that's the only one, and there's only one left there. And his dad said, Tommy, Tommy, quit yelling so loud. He said, Dad, Grandpa's deaf. He, I have to yell. He, he wasn't praying to God. And sometimes we do that. We say the wrong things because we know the answers already. We think somehow that we can convince God against His perfect judgment that our fallen better judgment is better. That's why today I want to talk to you about the ways of changing our nature. From the, from the flesh to the nature of Christ. That's a hard thing to do. It's a tough thing to do. But 1 Corinthians 13 is, is not just wanting to school us about love, but it wants to school us about how our nature has to change. That we cannot be selfish. That we cannot be self-centered. That we cannot have preconceived motives when we do things. First thing I want to say to you is this. Love is more than a feeling. Now I have to admit that that, that goes against every song I heard growing up. Because it always said it's more than a feeling and they thought love was the center of it, but that's simply not true. Love is more than a feeling because love is total commitment. 
Love is going beyond what your heart would tell you to do and your head would, would want you to do. It's doing what you know is right always. People don't understand what showing the love of God really is. They forget that, that in doing that, we, we put our own understanding aside and we continue to give and we sacrifice. Paul tells us that pretty much every action in and of themselves are not what makes people walk in love because many of our actions and motives are wrong. That love doesn't think about what we can do or what is reasonable. It doesn't measure the distance to which we'll have to go in a commitment we make. It makes that commitment and begins the walk and never ends it. I had a conversation with one of my favorite folks here in Selma that does ministry, Jennifer Dobbs. And we hit on a chord for about an hour in a conversation of something that's, that's very close to our heart. And I told her this, and, and you've heard me rant about this before. I don't like programs in the church. Never have. And somehow, Southern Baptists have gone crazy with programs. And, and I hate programs because programs have a beginning, but they also have an ending. Jesus did not come to this earth to program us. He came to change us forever. You see, his plan is for us to begin the walk of Christ and never end it. There's no ending. He wants to change our nature. People like to, to get involved in, in, in projects sometimes because they make them feel good. And, and, and they'll give a certain amount, and, and sometimes, and I've, I've done this before, I've sat down and said, well, I gave X number of dollars last year, I'll, I'll give a little bit more this year. That's not the way the heart of Christ works. You give sacrificially. You never stop giving. You, you don't look for the end of the program. You, you look for the focus of love, the sacrificial focus. One of the first things I learned about being a parent was that once you be become a parent, you never end being a parent. You're always a parent. If your child is 13 or 83, you're still the parent. You still love them. I'll never forget watching a woman embrace her son who was dying at 74 years of age. And she was 97. I took her to the hospital to be with him. She had no one else to take her. I got a wheelchair. She could have walked, but she said, I need to save my energy because I brought him into this world and I'm going to be with him when he leaves. That's love. That's the love of Christ. That's what we do. God gave mothers the greatest gift. Creation. But there's a sacrifice in that creation. Because that child is a part of you. All of your life. And when you look at that child, you see yourself. Mothers have a great ability to understand God's relationship with His creation. And the sacrifice that's made in that. And we've got to understand the importance of what God is doing. It's more, it's so much more than a feeling. We've also got to understand, sometimes people find a way of avoiding what they're supposed to do. They avoid their Christian responsibility to change. Not their responsibility to do They'll find a way to do what they need to do, but, but they won't change. They'll go and they'll become a part of what they think is good, and then they'll, they'll walk away from it. 
I, I met a man years ago in Atlanta, and he was actually, he joined three different churches I was in. I don't know if he was comfortable with me or uncomfortable with me because he'd join and then he'd leave. But he, he, was, he was our typical quintessential church hopper. And we, you know, Selma has them. They go from church to church to church. And usually they do that because there's a certain level of accountability in the church. And we are, we're held accountable for one another. We hold each other accountable. We're supposed to do that. And sometimes people don't want that accountability. They want to do what they want to do. You know, I, I've appreciated so much that uh, Gina has, has done this series on different church members, and, and it makes a difference. And she picked them out. And, and, and like with, with Joe and Jean Massey, and, and love Jean, love her family. Her family was one of the first families that really loved me when I came here. The unique thing I can say about all the families we've looked at is their consistency in ministry. They were here during the tough times and during the great times. They were here during the lean times and during the prosperous times. They were here when few people were here and they were here when the church was full. Their consistency is what God is looking for. That's what He expects. When, when, when coronavirus started and, and, and none of us knew what to expect, and so many people were panicked and fearful. I'll never forget one of the first Sundays that we were in here. And I remember, Jeff, we came in here and we said, well, maybe us today. Who knows? You know, we were here. And, and in come the Fridays. And, and I, went, I said, well, yeah, I'm glad y'all are here. I don't know what's going to go on. And, and John looked at me and he said, look, I, I've come here all my life, plus nine months before then. I've been a part of this church. And I'm going to continue to be here. He said, I grew up watching my daddy in the choir and my family serve, and, and, you know, I'm here. You gave me so much courage that day because you reminded me of what our focus is. That's what love is. You know, you, you, we, we needed to be safe. We needed to be cautious. We needed to be careful. We didn't want to spread this and all. Yet in the midst of that, we, we have to stay focused about First things first. I, I talked to a man the other day, and he told me, he said, you know, I worship with three churches every Sunday morning. And I mean, they're spread all over the, the United States. They listen to, to different services in different communities, which is wonderful. It's the reason why we still live stream. Because we've reached an audience that we never had before. We're going to expand our live stream system. And I'm looking forward to it. And if you want to be a part of it, and I'll give you this little infomercial very quickly because the same person can't do that every week, and we're going to expand it to the point that you will have the freedom to make creative decisions about what we do here and how we broadcast. Let me know, because we're reaching people we've never reached before. But that's a commitment that we want to begin that will not end. It's not a program. It's serving Christ in a mighty way. The second thing I want you to realize about love is this. Human love can only promote the self. Only the self. We have to be careful about human love. Human love cannot selflessly promote someone else. You have to have God's love to do that. Because somehow in promoting other people, even if you're standing on the side of the stage and you're promoting other people, you're still on the stage. And you can be drawn into that, that, that 
arrogance that you can find there sometimes. Only in Christ can we put aside the flesh totally and absolutely to allow other people to go forward and to succeed. And that's exactly what we're called to do. Jesus came to die, remember that, so we could live. That was always his direction. Even when he was rebuked, and, and you know, Simon Peter said what any one of us might have said. Oh, Lord, don't you dare say that. That's terrible. No, 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 you're not going to die. Jesus didn't just look at him and say, hush. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. Because he knew those were not the words of Simon Peter. Those are the words of the devil. Trying to halt and thwart the work that he was doing, showing the greatest act of love that's ever been demonstrated in the world. To die for the sins of the world. John 13, 35 says, By this all men shall know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If we as a church ever lose our sense of love for one another, we're lost. Now, yes, you know, we need to love missions, and we give to missions and support missions, both local and, and foreign missions, North American missions. We are very big in supporting so many different programs. But all of those put together are useless if we don't love one another because the world looks in the window of the church and they determine whether or not the church is worthy of their attention and their involvement by whether or not they love Back in the day when I was a teenager, we had um, the little, little fish that we'd stick on our car. Remember the little silver thing? And Ixus, you know, remember it's supposed to be the acronym of who, who Jesus was. And that was the thing to do. Put, I used to call it the loyal order of the flying fish because they'd usually pass you about 70 miles an hour. You know, uh, we, had, we had one man that got pulled over in our neighborhood and it was so funny. Uh, they stopped him on Ponce de Leon Avenue going 85 miles an hour. And the trooper that stopped him walked up to him, and he said, man, you've got to slow down. And he said, I was breaking the speed limit, wasn't I? He said, yeah, but he said, you've got two stickers on the back that says, follow me to Rehoboth. He said, a jet airplane couldn't follow you to Rehoboth. Slow down. You know, what we have like that says who we are. And people watch us, but you don't have to have an emblem on. People know that you're God's people. Word gets out. And whether it's the, 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 the things that you say or do, people know that you're Christian. What are you telling the world about Christ? What are you saying about Him? It's not in the symbols on your car, nor the signs or the wonders that you operate with. It's not with the dreams and visions that, that you might go through. It's not, it's not the history of, of your growing up in the church and what you know. None of those things, none of the Christianese, the words that we use, really, it's... That's not what changes them. What changes them is if we love one another. If we love one another. They're watching that. And the world is looking for something like that. We've listened to politicians over the last few days discuss and talk about what's going on in the world. And we all know one thing. War is not going to solve anything. People are going to be hurt. People are already dying. And we all tremble at the thought of having war on our land and our territory that we can't run from. It's a terrifying thought. The reason the South had so many mementos from the Civil War had nothing to do with the fact of taking sides or being angry that, that we lost. No, 
believe me, the way the Civil War ended, we all won. What we remind ourselves of is the fact that we never want war to come here again. We want to be people of peace and love. We don't want that. We want to be people who encourage that, that reach out to one another. 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. The ultimate end of a lack of love is death. Spiritual death, then physical death, then ultimate death forever. We've got to be people who love. Lastly, I want you to realize this. Justification changes your destination only. Now what I mean by that is this. In salvation, that first step is you're confessing you're a sinner and accepting the gift of salvation. And that's very important. That is the first step. It's it's as important as when you're playing baseball, you've got to touch first base when you're running. If you miss first base, you're out. I don't care how good you hit the ball or how well you run. Here's the reality. When you accept the gift of salvation and you become a Christian and all, it changes your destination eternally, but it does not change you until you allow the Spirit to work in your heart. And the reason I say this is because I've seen so many Christians that were so excited when they came to realize who Jesus was and that He died for their sins and that they were a sinner and they prayed to receive Christ and they were changed. But then somewhere along the process of the way, they got more hooked up with church members or membership than they got hooked up with a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And somewhere along the way, they forgot about the power of love. The Holy Spirit can be in your heart because you've been born again, but if you don't allow the Spirit of God to work the love of God in your heart and, and, and literally flesh out those things that you struggle with, those unforgiving attitudes, those sins that seem to creep in and take you over, unless you deal with them, you're in trouble. Because all you are is another example of why Christianity doesn't work. Yet you're going to heaven. You know who's using you when you do that? Satan. Satan is using you when you do that. He's using you to thwart and destroy the possibility of other people going to heaven. And you're doing the most unloving thing you could do. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Now what does that mean? What's the fruit of the Spirit that we're to walk in? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All those things we understand. But if we have that kind of love for those round about us, if we practice that kind of love, It changes our nature. Not right away. Over time. And people begin to notice a difference. They look at us and they listen to us and they watch us. And and I've got a good friend that I'll never forget. He told me, he said, I want to to share with other people. I'd led him to the Lord on the front steps of our church uh, in a little rural area there in Zebulon, Georgia. And I led him to the Lord and I baptized him. He said, I want to share with others 
I said, well, that's great. And we talked about how you share your faith. And I told him, I said, you don't have to give a, a theological treatise to anybody. All you do is tell them, just like you're called into court and you witnessed an automobile accident, they're going to ask you not, you know, the, the abilities of the automobile to, to withstand, you know, the wreck. They're not going to ask you that. They're going to say, tell me what you've seen, heard, and experienced of this wreck. And you share your testimony in court. You do the same thing when you're saved. Tell people what you've seen, heard, and felt of Jesus, what you experienced. They don't, they don't know deep theological things. No, that's discovered as you go through life. But he began to share, and I'll never forget it. First Sunday after that, he came to church and he had a guy with him, and I thought, well, it doesn't look like any of his family. And it's a fellow that he met. He worked in a hardware store. And it was a fellow he met one day there, and the fellow began to share with him some of the problems in his life. And he began to tell him, he said, well, you know, I had similar problems. And he told him what they were. But he said, you know what? All those went away several weeks ago. And he told him about that, and he brought him to church. That guy came forward, not that morning, but that night. He came back Sunday night. He got saved. The next week, he had four people sitting with him, that guy and three others. He didn't bring the other three people. The guy did. Before it was over with, people would go up and, and literally, Brian had come into church, and, and one little old lady who I love dearly, she came up, she said, Brian, how many folks are you going to have today? We'll move back, okay? Because they were cheering him on. They said, this is great. And I've often wondered if every church member had, number one, that kind of commitment to Christ, and number two, that kind of love for those round about them. What could we do? Look around you. Look at the space we've got. We all could have brought two people with us today to share that. May the love of Christ go with us, but may it continue to change us and make us into who we need to be. Because the work is great and the world is broken. And what we're watching halfway around the world may very soon be on our doorstep. And the only thing that will change that the only thing that will change that is the love of Christ. And I remind you to take that with you as you leave today. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are not selfish with your love. I thank you that your love was expressed by the gift, Father, of your Son. And because of that gift, we're changed forever. But I pray that we would understand that that love was directed at us in our worst condition, in our saddest day, you loved us. Our deepest, darkest sin, you saw and you still love us. And I pray that we would understand the importance of that and that we would be changed by it. Father, speak to someone this morning who's seeking hope and help. They need a relationship with you that will make a difference a relationship that's connected to you through the Holy Spirit where their love will grow and their trust will, will radiate to those around about them. May we be a change agent as we change and give us a heart to do that even now. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.